Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Habakkuk and what it looks like to practice faithful, unconditional wrestling with God. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Liz Reed and Jamie Long. And since Liz and Jamie do not know each other, they recognized each other when they came into the podcast room today, and they're smiling at each other now. (laughs) But since they did not know each other, Aaron and I are going to just share briefly how we got to know them. And I'll start off with how I got to know Jamie. Although, Jamie, I'm, I'm... scrolling back I've known Jamie for a long time was it singles ministry how I got to know you or before that yeah it would have been singles because John was just I think starting to take over with that you guys have just gotten married okay that's right that's what I was remembering so John and I just gotten married John my husband John at that time was working with our singles ministry here at the church Jamie was a member of that ministry her family lived not at that time her family lives in my neighborhood now but at that time they lived in a neighborhood close to me and I just remember Jamie's exuberance, friendliness, ability to really just dive into my family as my family grew. And I had little boys. It was Jamie who would come over and babysit. And she was a favorite because she was the kind that did all the wild, crazy things that a babysitter did. (laughs) And I have a picture of her on our back deck at one point with my oldest, who is now 18. He probably was one then. And he was in a big bucket of water. And it was called Redneck swimming or something along those lines and jamie had constructed that and it was super fun time so i've known jamie for a while and i very much love her and i'm glad you're here today thanks i didn't know y'all went back that far that's fun Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well liz and i don't go back that far we met at in seminary so 2020 in june 2020 when everybody was like huh how's the world gonna shape up from here liz and i just started or had decided to start seminary and i guess did we did we connect right away? I remember I you reading like one of my papers and you gave me some really good feedback and I was like, I gotta sit next to her. She's the kid in class you wanna sit next to. <laughs> she knows what's up. Hmm. So anyway, we just got to know each other, I think, in a classroom setting mm-hmm. and then just became dear friends through that process. And before you know it, we were coworkers and just love this lady. Grateful for you. Mm-hmm. Yep, we are grateful for both of you today. And I thought when I had, when I asked the two of you to be on, I thought if they had a chance to know each other, they would very much like each other. The two of you just have a gentleness of character, but a love of life and people that is catching. And so it's fun to have both of y'all with us today. We're going to move into our first things first question. And so I'm going to ask you the question and you're going to answer it along with a brief bio of yourself. So first things first question, what is the first thing you think to pack when you go on vacation? And Jamie, you get to start us off. Oh, oh, that was easy. Uh, Tennis shoes. Because it's kind of a weird story, but I remember uh, a friend, every time he would go on vacation, he always forgot his shoes. So he's had to run to a store to buy shoes. So he had this closet full of shoes and it was a guy and I was like, I'm never going to be like that. (laughs) Jamie, I think that's so funny because I was expecting you to say that you went on vacation at some point and left your shoes and never would you do that again. But the fact that you saw somebody else do that and decided you were never going to do that. I think that's funny. (laughs) All right. So give us a little bit of bio on yourself. I am Jamie Long, born and raised here in Augusta, Georgia, the oldest of 10 children, and was homeschooled, went a non-traditional route and skipped college and went to law school, went to California and practiced law, came back, didn't work for two years, and then switched over to real estate. And I work in that field now and uh, have grown more spiritually in the last 10 years than since high school, actually. All right. How about you, Liz? 
Hi, I'm Liz Reed. I'm married to Andy Reed, who's our evening worship piano guy here at First Pres. And we have four kids, three adorable grandchildren, a dog and a cat. And our son, Sam, and his wife, Zoe, go here at First Pres too. And I work here at the church. I work for Ken and Mike Phillips, and I used to teach fourth grade. And I love to read and garden and play with grandchildren, and I really, really love games. And some of those include video games. Yay. I've found out that my new friend Jamie does too. The first thing I pack for vacation is a whole bunch of clothes that I will not wear on that vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have dreams of being a light packer, and they are, at, at best, they're just phantom dreams. So You just want to make sure you got what you need when you need it. It's exactly right. I want to be prepared, and I want to have options. Always want options. And that requires heavy packing. It does. Unfortunately. That is true. Okay. I'm definitely a light packer. I could be touring the world and I will put it all in a carry on. You better believe it. I'm not <laughs> waiting on that check baggage. I need so, to learn from you. What's that? I need to learn from you. <laughs> well, um, pros and cons. But I think the first thing I'm throwing in shoes because I don't know, that feels logical. Yeah, mm-hmm. you I can't mean, have shoes. You want them in that zipper compartment, so therefore you have to put them in first, right? Yeah, I could, <laughs> I could track with that. Unless you're a really light packer and you're already wearing your pair okay, of shoes. Okay, you get no bonus shoes, right? Okay, mm-hmm. that's a great point. The next thing then I would pack in that regard would be book and paper and pen, um, and then the clothes, like things I can repeat wear. Yeah, like mix it up. Okay, but so you, yeah. I'm with you on the light packing. Mm-hmm. Yep, I am. I went on my honeymoon and my husband somehow convinced me just to take one outfit and some pajamas. Stop it. Yeah. And we were going to thrift store shop when we got out there. <laughs> oh, man. This is amazing yeah yeah it's true we went to california and we decided we Mm -hmm. would go thrift store shopping in ventura california which is kind of an upscale place did you find some treasures no not really i think i wore in every one of my honeymoon pictures i'm wearing the same pair of jeans black shirt and a little black hat because it was cold and that's it that's pretty much it oh my word yep does it strike me as a thrift store guy john barrett is um yeah he can thrift store his mom is queen of thrift that's store right. that's right okay and he actually just is very sensible like hey let's just take us the least amount of things we can and we'll just find something out there Hilarious. okay says my young little self i definitely am not such a light packer now and I, but i would say the first thing that i'm having to pack these days which is sad to me is my reading glasses mm. <laughs> <laughs> because I think mm, if I forget get these, get a chain. One of the chain necklace thingies. I'm embarrassed that you would suggest <laughs> such a thing. Yes, so, Jamie? I will admit to uh, in the last month having to actually go out and buy reading glasses. Wow. Wow. Yeah. The lowest level? The lowest level. I yep. mean, I, but I'm I was like, you. what is wrong in the morning when I'm trying to read my Bible and I'm having to do this? I'm like, what is wrong? And I mentioned it to my dad and he goes, well, you... you did go past 40 oh, so wow. anyway are you, do you have vision corrected otherwise no i've always had better than 2020 vision my whole life so i was like what is wrong oh. what what is what what do i need to do and they're like well maybe you should just try this sure mm. enough everything is fine how now. about that they have some cute readers these days oh it's helpful but it's incredibly frustrating because you have to have them 
or you cannot read. I, I mean, I'm still on the lowest level too, but I do have to have them. So With the necklace. Yeah, it is important to see, right? It is really important to see. And as we're moving into Habakkuk today, we are in the portion of Habakkuk where it is really important that Habakkuk sees and remembers who God is, who God has proved himself to be throughout the course of history because Habakkuk is in the middle of some pretty dire circumstances, things that are hard for him to understand, things that in the Lord's sovereignty, the Lord has actually brought about. And we remember that Habakkuk has been having up to this point a dialogue with the Lord about that. He came to the Lord with some questions and complaints. The Lord answered him. Habakkuk had some further questions about the Lord's answer. The Lord answered him again. And now we come to the portion where Habakkuk turns his prayers to a remembrance of who he knows God to be in light of who God has just revealed himself to be to Habakkuk in this situation. In particular, Habakkuk is responding to God's revelation of himself as the one who brings about justice in the midst of evil. And that is a terrifying and emboldening reality for Habakkuk. It's terrifying when it's applied to his own self or to the state of Habakkuk's own nation because they themselves have um, devolved into some evil practices. They've walked away from their covenantal roots. The Lord's justice is being applied to them, but it's emboldening when it's applied to those who are working evil against Habakkuk and his nation, which was the terrible wickedness of the Babylonians. When in combination, that Lord's justice extending to everybody, then everybody joins, all the earth joins, as we see at the end of chapter two, in keeping silence before the one true God. Um, as Habakkuk's waiting for him to work his perfect justice, in that working, Habakkuk knows the God of Scripture so well that he can say, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And he recounts a litany of ways in which the Lord showed his power and glory in saving his wayward people. And that's where we are today, right in the middle of Habakkuk's recounting of the Lord's work. Our passage for today is chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And Habakkuk says, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. So Aaron, talk to us about what these theophanies of God bring to mind. What specific events could Habakkuk be calling to mind? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that he is recalling is like these awe-inspiring moments. And obviously, we. And first of all, I want to point out, like I feel like we can oftentimes read through these um, Old Testament literature and just miss it. It's on the page, but you got to have your brain on to catch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to be thinking of the Bible as Tim Mackey. You know, he talks about how the Bible is Jewish meditation literature. Mm-hmm. And when you have it baked into the cake, the stories of God's people and how he's delivered them, then you see this. It's yeah. hyperlinking right. on the page, but you do have to be thinking about it and looking for it. So one of the biggest um, 
stories that the Hebrew people would have been retelling is that deliverance in of in Egypt from Egypt. So that's obviously on the page here. So you see that a delivery from the Egyptians and into what is going to they're going to be walking into this promised land. They're scripting to themselves and repeating that story to themselves. So yes, David would have known it. Habakkuk would have known these stories. Like they are literally the grooves in their brains. Like they are thinking of these things. And when they are in a moment like they're in right now and they're like, oh, this is the same story we've known where we don't know how God is going to deliver us. Oh, but wait, we've seen God have this unprecedented, unbelievable, surprising deliverance before. So there, I think that's what he's doing here. He's retelling that story and saying, we've seen the Lord bring us deliverance before. We've seen the Lord show up in these surprising ways. We trust that he's going to do it again. So we see that Habakkuk is calling to mind the victorious redeemer that he's known and Yahweh passed. And also because we have known the victorious redemption of Jesus, it does have those eschatological view. And for us, like Habakkuk wouldn't have seen that. But for us, like we're looking forward and saying we've known a victorious redeemer with capital V, capital R, like in this huge way with Jesus on the cross. And we fully anticipate his return. So I think even for us, like we are reading historical narrative, but even I think we can say, Jesus, we are in a position right now. We don't know how you're going to deliver us. There are hard things ahead for me personally, for our culture around us, for your world. But we look back, we retell ourselves these stories. We see how you showed up in these major, amazing, miraculous ways in the past. And we trust that you're going to do it again, like you said you would. So when y'all were looking at this passage today, what in particular surprised you or interested you or delighted you? I heard y'all say that a couple of times about this passage. Start us off, Liz. Well, the first thing for me that I really loved is uh, from the beginning of us looking at Habakkuk is the language, the poetic language. I love that. All languages are so idiomatic and we would sound like robots if we didn't use idioms, but all the figurative language, the raging waters swept on, the deep gave forth its voice and uh, mountains saw you and writhed, all that. I love that. Uh, So that it's not that it's surprised, but it just pulls me in, engages me immediately when I hear that. And it reminds me because Andy and I love to watch movies. We watch series of movies. And right now we're in the middle of The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. When Frodo, if you know anything about the movie, when Frodo gets stabbed by this ring wraith and the elf Arwen is trying to rescue him. She takes him across the river and she turns around and all the bad guys are on the other side of the river. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this part. And she calls to the river to rescue her and Frodo. And so then the river comes in a rush down its bed and it's rushing and it's horses, horses of water coming down. So as I'm reading this, uh, the Lord um, is, is, you know, your horses, are you on your horses and your chariots? I'm I'm seeing this picture of the water rushing because there's a lot of water in this as well. So anyway, all of that imagery for me is kind of exciting. And it gives me that kind of gives me a, a place to put that in my mind when I can think of something I've seen on a screen. But um, anyway, so that's that's the language. Clearly, I was affected by the language. But uh, also, the way Habakkuk, you know, the progression of how he recalls how the Lord has already fought for his people, like you were talking about, and the image of God being really active in our lives is really important to me, that he's not just sitting back and watching, but he is active. When life feels hard, and I'm looking for that reassurance that God is real, he's there, what I'm going through matters to him. The picture 
of Habakkuk and the other prophets, Psalmist, Job, all through scripture, the picture we're given after any complaining that they've done is a picture of God acting on our behalf. And that's true all the way to Jesus actively living and dying in this world for us. And that that was very meaningful to me. Well, I wish I could make mine that poetic. Uh, That's great to hear yours because basically mine was raw power. (laughs) It was just (laughs) raw power. Raw power. This is God unleashed to know, all right, um, you know, he can control how high the mountain is. Well, we're going to decimate it and make it a valley. Okay, well, um, you know what? Israel, you're dammed up against the Red Sea or whatever. Oh, we'll take care of that. We'll create up. Here you go. Now you got dry ground to walk on. You got a wall of water here. Well, I mean, the Jordan, you start going through this and it's just like, wow, I know my God's powerful. But I don't think about on that level. I just don't think about it that often. And so it was super exciting to think about it that way. Like you were saying, you know, I love that analogy with Lord of the Rings. But it was also humbling because, yeah, I mean, he's going to do that against the Babylonians or, you know, whoever's coming in. But he can and does and will do that in my own life or in somebody else's life when he needs to. And that was the other thing that just jumped out was. He has aggressive control, basically, of the elements and everything. Nothing you or I or anybody, if we wanted to stop what he wanted to do, we just can't. And that was just something that I don't think I think about very much. Um, When he wants to just come in and take over and say, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. And then it really puts it on you. Well, how are you going to respond to that? So it's humbling in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah, it helps you recognize that I am the creation. I am not the creator. Therefore, I am under the creator's rule. And we do love, of course, the fact that also in God's revelation of himself, even though he could be seen as raw power, he is also uh, love embodied, you know, and that power connected to that love and to that goodness. And so therefore, we do ultimately turn to him and trust in him when we see those things because we know that in him is also found that deep, those deep wells of love. But that connection of those two things, uh, there should be a humility in that, right? I mean, an awe and a humility in that, in that way, a fear. And, and yet Habakkuk recalls those things to mind as, a, as an encouragement to his mind and heart and soul, because he knows that that God of raw power is the God of salvation, who extends himself in covenantal love to people, um, simply because that's who he is. And so, yeah, I think I love how y'all bring out all of those things. There is the personal aspect of it. There is the fact that we connect with these words because they are written and, and identified in ways that we think, oh, he speaks, he rides, it's horses. It's, we can get the gist of what's being um, portrayed. And yet we are also left with a sense of fear and awe and, and wonder. And that, that should be uh, the case. So as Habakkuk's calling these past things to mind, he's doing that because he's obviously in a circumstance presently that is very dire and it's a very evil circumstance. There's evil in his own nation. There's evil coming against his own nation that the Lord is actually in his sovereignty bringing about as a discipline um, that the Lord has predicted will come to pass. And if we read here in Habakkuk and then other places like Lamentations, the description of what that looks like Mm -hmm. is very graphic and very real and very terrible. And so Habakkuk is, in a sense, because this is written like a psalm or like a song, he's singing to himself of who the Lord is and what the Lord's done in order to have courage 
So as y'all think through the ways that the Lord, we think back to who the Lord is and the ways he's worked in our lives in order to have courage for the circumstance that we're in currently. So what are some of the things that come to your mind that the Lord has done in your past that gives you courage in the future or today? So for me, I really like that question just because there are so many instances and truthfully, they're just verses because the verses happened at the life events because Mm -hmm. God's word tends to, you know, speak to a spirit within us. So, um, I just, I was, I started, well, what's the earliest one that I can remember? And I remember being a kid getting ready to go to missions conference and walking into my parents' bedroom and my mom sitting at the desk with a checkbook talking to my dad as they're getting ready. You know, what are we going to do for given for this missionary or for the conference? I don't remember. The, I just remember being there and saying something like, oh, so you guys are going to give your tithe to missions. This And mom just kind of on the side, oh, no, no, honey, we have a separate account set aside that we always put money in so we can get above the tithe because the tithe is just where we start. When we love the Lord, we always give more. And then going right back to dad and whatever, you know, because trying to get all the kids out that, oh, really? There's more than the tithe? And then going and doing my own research and, oh, yeah, we are supposed to get, okay. Oh, and it says God will take care of you and give you more than you ever need if you, okay, let's see if this is really true about him. And then just going and I think it was in Malachi where it talks down, mm-hmm. you know, testing me with the tithe. Mm-hmm. Well, I had started that. Well, what if we did more? And the whole next year, I just documented all the money that came in at the end of the year. I had made double what I had the previous year and I had given double. It's like, oh, this God, he's really real. I mean, this is legit stuff. That was the, you know, one of the earliest ones I could remember. And then um, I think the second one I was in high school about to graduate and I needed money to be able to pay for school stuff. Uh, I wanted to take a paralegal program and some college classes and law school stuff. But my dad didn't want me to just go out and get a job. He's like, I'm still, you know, I need to take care of you and I don't know people you'd be working with. So why don't you go pray about it and sort it out? I'm like, great, no win situation. But I did. And we had that, that month we had been studying Matthew 6 and we had gotten to the end where it said, seek first God's kingdom and everything else will be added. Well, I did a Greek work study on that. I walked away from that going, oh, basically it means seek to serve. Don't seek to meet your own personal needs and God will take care of it. Okay, let's see if he's legit on that. He provided a nonprofit for me to just serve, not try to make money. I did for a year. At the end, the board was looking at hiring somebody. And I was like, oh, this amount of money they want to pay would pay for all my school. This must be the answer. They voted against it. They didn't have enough money to do it. So that day when I found that answer out, I went upstairs and prayed. And I was like, Lord, I've waited a whole year. I'm graduating you know, next month. This isn't happening. I'm really, really sorry that uh, you couldn't come through for me on this. But I'm going to have to make my dad be disappointed and go get a job because I got to pay for things. And as I was finishing that prayer, my mom called up the stairs and said, you know, one of the board members from the nonprofit is on the phone. And... uh I took the call and he said, hey, I want to offer you a job, basically making way more than any 17 year old kid ever should have made. And you're going to have full benefits. And oh, by the way, I know you've talked about school stuff when you're done with your work. As long as you get all your stuff done, you can actually study afterwards at work. And I just and and I think about, you know, the verses. I mean, I go my whole life, just the list of verses and the events that occurred Um, where God proved himself of, if you will take my word seriously and you will just listen to my word and do what I tell you to do, I am who I am. And I feel like that's what Habakkuk is doing. Yeah, 
Well, and Habakkuk, is, he even did that in his complaint at the beginning because the whole reason he's struggling with the Lord is because he believes he knows who the Lord is and how the Lord mm-hmm. acts. And so as I'm hearing you tell those stories, you have to very much appreciate the ways that the Lord answers in those ways that you expect, right? You, you saw that of the Lord and you anticipated that he would answer it with that nonprofit. He didn't have to do that. He didn't promise you that he would do that through the nonprofit. You could have done that and there would have been no no reward. And that wouldn't have been God being false to his character or false what he had in his word. That was your interpretation of what that was going to, as a kid. As a kid. This is how this is supposed to go. This is how (laughs) this is going to go. And the Lord chose to use that in order to help you see, yes, I am at work in your life, but because I've known you for a long time, there have been situations in which you thought you followed the formula. I'm going to measure, I like how you said, I'm going to measure how much money and how much money. And you tried to apply that same principle in the ways that you thought it would come about Mm -hmm. and the Lord didn't do what you had anticipated and I've seen you grown in your appreciation of his character as a whole when things don't go the way that you think that they're going to go and so you get both things like the Lord does definitely sometimes show himself in the ways we anticipate and we praise him for that we look back on that like Lord that is evidence of you in my life and as we age that gets challenged in some ways and I feel like that's how it's gotten challenged for Habakkuk in here is I thought you were this and you were going to do this and now you're showing me a whole new thing and can I accept that I mean that's Isaiah 54 I think the whole chapter was don't let me be ashamed yeah oh storm-tossed one that's not comforted I will lay your foundations in sapphires. I will set your stones in antimony. You will? Great, because I can't work for two years. I'm sick. And why did you yank law away? That was never supposed to happen. I did it out of faithfulness to you. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it is just, it is. It's a journey. And I think that's what I enjoyed was reading that and Habakkuk's going through the same journey. And the reality is, is he's, he's looking to the Lord the whole time as he's, He's just not going in his corner and crying. Not crying to himself anyway, right? Yeah. Not crying to himself. <laughs> what do you think, Liz? Hmm, I, I really enjoyed hearing <laughs> what Jamie had to say. I like doing this, too, going back and remembering what God's done in my life that shows his faithfulness in order to be understanding that for whatever my current circumstances are. And uh, like I said before, him being actively engaged with his people generally, and me in particular, is really, it's just very meaningful to me. And I can remember what it felt like to be a little girl whose every thought was for herself until God rescued me. And I was 13 when I came to Christ. And I mean, I can remember the very moment. So I, I remember how I thought, my thought patterns and all of those things prior to becoming a believer, and then the transformation once I did. And so when I think about that and, and you know, how I changed, and I, I changed from somebody who was completely me-focused to being learning how to be others-focused, learning how to love the, the Lord's Word, and actually starting to crave it. And so when I think about that and I remember it, then what I do is remember now, because I struggle now with things I want to see changed, that I am thinking, we've talked about this the other day, thinking patterns that I'm, that are sinful and are not moving me forward in my life with the Lord. And will he keep the promise that he will complete the good work in me? And that's so I remember that he, he can change me from a completely hard heart that doesn't know him to one that does, then can he not continue to work in me? So I do, I do like to remember that. And then I've got another moment I was thinking through, most pivotal moment when when we 
faced our daughter's death. Mm. And I go back and I remember that very tender gentleness that God gave us. And he picked us up. He carried us forward because we couldn't move ourselves. And then he sent people to take care of us. You know, they brought the food and the paper towels and the clean laundry. And especially they brought his presence through their presence being there until we could put our feet down and walk again. And just remembering that he fought for my heart and mind again during that time is just really special for me. So in this passage of Habakkuk, for me, the thing that's that's coming out is seeing my God being a warrior. The part of this passage that's the most meaningful to me, I think, is just looking at the fact that even though he, God is sending the Babylonians to correct his people, he's going to uh, judge the Babylonians. And in doing that, he's fighting for his people. So a great point. I think that just makes me reflect on how we talked about that earlier passage, how he's not after subjective righteousness about how we rank. He wants his righteousness is the standard and how he gives that to us because he is mm-hmm. a good king and he is a good master. So when I think about a pivotal moment of how the Lord has worked in my life that gives me courage and hope for the future, I think just this is very basic. So, you know, whatever it is, what it is. But I think, you know, I grew up, I'm sure y'all heard me talk about this idea of the do better, try harder gospel. So that's how I interacted with the Lord and that he is a harsh taskmaster, that he requires perfection from me. And I have to hit all the marks and I have to do a good job and I have to want to do it and I have to be humble when I'm doing it and just all the things that, you know, if you grew up in the church, you may or may not resonate with that. And I think because, Liz, I think you were pulling out how the Lord just relentlessly pursues you and he wants to deliver you from that nonsense. He wants to invite you into abundant life with an eternal lens and say, I have the good life and that is being loved and known and cared for by me. Come come into my green pastures. So I think that is the one moment, if that is one moment, but just like a pivotal moment for me is that I can look back and say, when I knew the Lord as not someone that I was aiming to please out of my own strength, but somebody that I was loved by, and that I'm a daughter and adopted into his family, a part of the family of families, that better bloodline, that shifted things up for me. Like understanding and receiving and experiencing the love of God was the critical pivot point for me where it's like, okay, I can move forward with courage and hope because it's no longer on my shoulders. The pressure's off. So I think that'll always be as basic as that is. That'll always be the, the thing that I hold on to is say, that, Lord, you are, you're good and worthy of following and how can I not? Mm-hmm. So obviously y'all have already touched on this, but tell us more about how the deliverance in the gospel itself has impacted your lives. I'm going to go into Habakkuk a little bit, like a little refresh. I'm thinking about him. I'm thinking about how he's been burdened by how far his own people have fallen from the life of justice and kindness God's called them to live. He's been questioning God. How can you let this go on this way? Do nothing about it. God says, I will. I'll do something about it. Don't worry but you're not going to like it. Habakkuk really doesn't like it. He questions God even more vehemently about the way he's going to correct Israel. And God shows him how he's also going to judge Babylon. And now Habakkuk's singing a song of praise. His heart went from despair, maybe even anger, maybe deeper despair to praising his Holy One. And he was originally in despair over Israel's sin and then over the death toll and captivity, that type of enslavement that he was going to come 
or that was going to come through the Babylonian invasion. And with all that as my background and thinking through that and about the enslavement of the fear of death itself, it makes me think, you know, so much of Andy and I, our life, the things that we think about, a lot of it is in reference to when our daughter Bess died, because that was just kind of a big, that was a big pivotal moment for us. And we kind of have a before the accident and an after the accident for our life. So I see a lot of this through the lens, but God also just taught me a lot of things during that, during the beginnings of the grief process. So when Bess died in the car crash, I had to face my fear of death all over again. When your children are little, You worry all the time about them being physically safe. They can run in the road. They can fill a bathtub with scalding water. They can fall out of a tree. They can fall out of a window. There are a million things you can be afraid that'll hurt them. And as a mom, you think through most of those or try to. And when one of those things actually happened, then I had to look at death really close. It was no longer just an it could or an if, but it was there. And if Jesus is who he says he is, if God is true and good, best is with him now. And I don't have to worry about her anymore and all of that. Just miss her and wait for the day we see each other again. And it sounds simple, but the process was not. But again, God delivered me from the darkness of that grief. Um, those verses that that Lydia wanted us to read through uh, were about that, the being enslaved to Satan because of our fear of death and death being delivered from death itself. So I'm not delivered from grief itself, just like we're not taken out of this world, but I am delivered from the darkness of that grief. And having some kind of unrelenting sorrow that's been relieved by the grace of God. Mm. So I praise him for that, like Habakkuk. Liz, I always appreciate your willingness to share about Pess with us and to share of the Lord's faithfulness in the midst of uh, the grief and to hold both there is so helpful um, to me. And so I appreciate you sharing that. And then you think, you're right, that's how the gospel does impact life, like that Jesus has conquered death and that death's not just a maybe or it could happen, but it's a reality. And yet that warrior God has gone out against mm-hmm. death and conquered that for us. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was chapter one or chapter two, where it said the righteous man shall live by his faith. Mm -hmm. And that keeps coming back. uh, This whole study, that verse just keeps coming back. And then that segues into, you know, Hebrews, um, you know, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For me, the practicality has been, yeah, we, we see his loving power. We see his willingness to sacrifice and go through things for us. He is perfecting faith. How, how little or how weak it is, he's perfecting it. And the ultimate end really is just the looking at him part, which is what Habakkuk's doing in this whole passage. He's just going through the memories so that he's looking at who God is. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the biggest thing that I walked away from this passage. Yeah, he's the mighty warrior that's going to deliver from death. Yeah, he's the uh, mighty warrior who's going to punish sin, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, has punished sin. But for me, it was he's he's the powerful God who he's determined how the story's going to go. And at this point, I don't have to have it on my shoulders to have it be my way or go the way I want it to go. It's okay to just basically initiate or respond in obedience and just 
the Holy Spirit and his word. Whereas before, everything had to be planned out. Everything had to be a particular way. And yeah, as I have gotten older, things haven't gone exactly how I planned them to go. But instead of it being an angry thing or, okay, I'll make this happen. I'll have enough strength to force it to be what I want it to be. Instead, it's a yielding and it's mm-hmm. a recognition of who he is and a delight in, in knowing who he is, even in the hardness of things. Of It's going to be great someday because heaven's coming. Heaven is coming. And, and that's really where the excitement is. Mm-hmm. Well, in the verse before Habakkuk begins this prayer or this song, uh, the Lord ends his words to Habakkuk just saying, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And there is that sense of awe. And for those who come into that holy temple through the work of Christ, they get to gaze on the beauty of the Lord who is in his holy temple. And I do think that there's got to be something there that Habakkuk heard. And, you know, it's the Lord ending it like that. Um, just bringing that to Habakkuk's mind, like I am in my holy temple and it is a beautiful place and I'm a beautiful God. And to gaze on me is enough to bring that awe, um, even in the midst of chaotic, turbulent circumstances. Yeah, I was saying that too, Amber, just that it's good to trust in him. I know when we did the Idols podcast a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how if you're worshiping idols, you are constantly toiling because you are the one animating and bringing to life that idol. Everything is squarely on your shoulders. You are the one bringing your own deliverance. And when you're worshiping the Lord, you're trusting in his goodness and trusting in his deliverance and trusting in everything that he brings to the table for you. And that is rest and that is peace. And that is awe and worship that you're never going to get if you choose a false God. Yeah, rest. I like the rest part. (laughs) (laughs) We all do. And it is promise. Well, Liz and Jamie, thank you both for joining us today. Listeners, we hope you'll join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you're putting out your fall mums or blowing off your drive. Chrissy Belcher and Anne Elizabeth Lazari will be joining us to talk about Habakkuk 3, 12 through 15. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while she sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain.